0: Alright, El Shaddai, Almighty, God Almighty, that's what that name means. And so we're going to talk about that. Over the next six weeks, we're going to do a study through the book of Revelation. It's going to be a little bit different than many people are used to. Let's turn to Revelation chapter, um, chapter 1, and when you get there, find verse 4, and we'll read the first few verses of this, or the last few verses of this chapter. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, John is writing, and, he's, and it says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to become and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you and we say Father to you, God, because you are our Father. You are our Father in heaven and Father on earth. You are our creator. You are our maker. You are our Father who loves us and sent his Son to die for us. You treat us as your children, even though we are at times wayward, sinful. You still love us. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. So as we begin this series of sermons on the book of Revelation, God, and looking at it from a little bit different angle, Lord, would you speak to each one of us, Lord? Would you just guide and direct us? Would you open up your word so that as we study it, as we read it and think about it, you, Father, will teach us and open our minds to your truths. Father, today our world is in desperate need of your truth. So we pray, Father, today that you would use this message to speak to us and to those around us, Father, about your truth, the truth of someday your coming to this world. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for the gift of salvation and, Father, we know from your word that salvation is still available. And so we ask, Father, that you would use this church, use us to spread the message of your salvation through Jesus Christ. And we ask this for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Revelation has to be probably the most mysterious look at the Bible. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. It's probably the most mysterious to most people, the mental pictures that it invokes can be very shocking. Wouldn't you agree? Very shocking when you read some of the when you read the the book you'll see some very shocking images coming out of these pages. People are being slaughtered by other people and by God. A woman riding a dragon that seems so mysterious and strange and a little weird. Beasts, seven bowls filled with the wrath of God that are poured out on the earth. Millions of angels, millions and millions of angels are described gathering around God, gathering for God's work. Seven of them are holding trumpets, and they blow the trumpets eventually one at a time. Four of them are holding back a wind, the wind of God's judgment. Revelation has a city of incredible wickedness. I mean incredible wickedness. Also has a destruction of the world. The world that we live in someday is going to be destroyed. It's going to be done away with, and a new world is going to appear. God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth that will not have the taint or the stain of sin. Fire, plagues. Hailstones that weigh a hundred pounds, oceans of blood, scrolls of judgment, heaven and hell are all right here in the book of Revelation. It's all right there. It kind of takes your breath away if you think about it and you read through it. There's two basic reactions to the book of Revelation. One is to read it a few times and then just kind of drop it and never read it again. It's too strange. It's kind of scary, and nobody can really, really Explain it satisfactory to everybody. That's one reaction. It's a very normal one. Second reaction is to obsess over it. Uh, These people will read the book of Revelation over and over and over and over. They read every book about it that comes out. They listen to every preacher that talks about the Revelation. They, They watch movies about it. They scan the news for signs of its coming. And they're really into the book of Revelation. That's their whole New Testament study. These reactions are understandable. I mean, we're human. We're people. And we want certain things from the Scriptures. We want certain things from the Bible. We want God to give us comfort, and and we want God to give us guidance. We don't always understand everything God says. But I think there's some lessons from the book of Revelation that get overlooked. I think these are very important lessons that people don't see because they see the dragon and the woman riding the dragon. They see and they visualize 100-pound hailstones falling out of the sky and they see these millions of angels gathered around the throne. They get caught up in those pictures and they forget or they miss so many other great stories, uh, great lessons. So over the next six weeks, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from a little bit different angle. We're going to rediscover some of these overlooked lessons. I believe they're overlooked. I believe they're very, very important and valuable for our day today. In, in our world today, in American religion today. I think the book of Revelation has a very important place in the church. And I think the church is missing out on it. Today we're going to see how the book of Revelation describes God. We've been singing about God, haven't we? we What have we been saying to God? Uh, That He is Almighty, right? Almighty. He is God Almighty. Yeah. I like that word. It's a unique word. It's a personal word. Uh, He is the Almighty. Amen? Yeah, and I like that word. To me, it's a very reassuring word to say that God is almighty. If I'm going to follow a God, he better be almighty. Isn't that right? If I'm going to give my life to a God that I can't see, he better be almighty. Amen? Amen, yeah. The Apostle Paul used the word almighty once in his one of his letters. He did so to emphasize that God will someday bring about all of his promises to fulfillment. He wanted to show the church and say to the church, listen, you can trust in God. You can trust in Jesus Christ. God is going to fulfill His promises through Jesus Christ. That's why we worship Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. He's right here in the book of Revelation. He's right here. And we'll see in just a few minutes a passage about Him. When John recorded the visions that became the book of Revelation, he used the word Almighty 12 times. Nine times more than any other book in the New Testament. The Old Testament is full of of statements about the Almighty, but in the New Testament, not so much. Revelation has the most. Almighty is an attribute. It tells us who God is. It tells us what He is, that He is Almighty. He has all power that He needs. He has more power than anybody else or any other thing. He is Almighty. It is a title. It shows us who God is. It's His name you were to go to God's office in heaven, you would find Almighty right there on the door if he had one. He doesn't have one, though, does he? He has a throne, but he doesn't have a door. And he doesn't have to put his name anywhere because everybody knows his name. He's the Almighty. He's the Almighty. I think the church needs to get this today. I think new churches, too, as well. John said, point number one on your outline this morning, if have your pen ready, that God is Almighty God, forever Almighty. He is almighty God, and he's forever almighty. I like this. John begins the book of Revelation with a blessing. This is really an amazing thing to me to read. It's a blessing to anyone and everyone who reads this book, everyone who hears it read, including you and I today, and those who take his message to heart are all blessed by God, especially because of this book. How many of you have your own personal Bible? How many of you own a personal Bible? Even if it's on a smartphone or a tablet. Okay? If you want have a Bible, see me afterwards and we'll give you a Bible. We got plenty here at the church. They're big they're big prints, so you can have a you'd be able to read it just fine. Yeah. I can't emphasize how important it is to have your Bible in worship. It's incredibly important to have your Bible in worship. It's the word of God, it's the message of God, it's the love letter of God to you and I. I can't over, I can't overemphasize I can't really get the, the meaning across of what it means to have your Bible with you in worship, but John does. Listen again to John in Revelation 1, verse 3. Just flip over and look at it. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Now, I'm getting a blessing just for reading this today. Amen. And blessed are those who hear it. That's you folks. And take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. What a blessing to know that we're going to be Blessed just for taking God's word this important to our, into our lives and realizing the significance of this word. Man. What time is John referring to here? It's the time when he's pointing to the time when the world will finally meet Almighty God. Someday the world is going to meet Almighty God in all his glory and power and might. So let me ask you, friends, are you ready to meet Almighty God? Are you ready? Ready? That time is coming. That day is coming. That moment is almost here. And so is he. He is coming. He has promised he will. And he will come. And then John refers to God by saying in verse 4, look at verse 4, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne. John wanted to emphasize, he really wanted to drive home to us who God is and what God is. Our world today does not know God not the way the Bible describes him. They just see some grandfatherly guy sitting up there on a chair just throwing down things for us to enjoy. That's all the world sees, if they even believe in Him. Sometimes in life, we need to get a renewed, refreshed vision of God. So we have to come back to the Bible because I can't give you that. And if I could give you that, you wouldn't want it. We have to come back to the Scriptures. We have to come back to the Bible and let it teach us. Let it give us a renewed vision, a refreshed vision, a refreshed understanding that God is forever almighty. That there will come a time when this world will no longer have a hold on us or power over us. And by the way, almighty, this is something our world needs to hear, too. We do it as well. Almighty God hates sin. Isn't that true? Amen. He hates wickedness. But guess what? He loves people. That's that, that tension there, that struggle there. He hates our sin, but He loves us. He even loves the most sinful, wicked people of this world. If you can imagine the most worst people in the world today, think about them. And God still loves them. The Old Testament book of Jonah shows how a wicked people encountered a God, Almighty God and experienced not His judgment, but His grace. They experienced His love. In Jonah chapter 3, Jonah finally... Goes to the city of Nineveh. And what does he preach? Oh, God is love, right? No, he says 40 more days and then judgment. 40 more days and God's going to judge all of you in this city and he's going to wipe you all out. And What does the king do? He breaks down, he repents. And he tells the city, you need to repent too. And if we all repent, we really mean it, maybe God will forgive us. And that's exactly what God does. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. God hates sin, and yet he loves people. Isn't that awesome? And great hope for the world. Friends, are you concerned about America today? Are you concerned about our country, about Lawrence, Kansas, about Kansas, about the Midwest, about America? If you're concerned about America you you better turn to God. Because Almighty God is our only hope. He is our only He is America's, He is the world's only hope. We can hope in Him. We can trust in Him. God is Almighty forever, not just yesterday or a thousand yesterdays. Not just today. He's not just good for today. And He's not just good for tomorrow or a thousand tomorrow's from now. He's good forever for eternity in all directions. God has been, is, and will be always the Almighty. That's a God I can follow. That's a God I want to give my life to. That's a God I want to teach me, save me. Yeah, that's the God I want. That's the God I was looking for. And guess what? The angels of heaven, they never stop telling God this. They never stop telling God, God, you're Almighty. In Revelation 4, verse 8, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. That's a strange looking angel, right? Even under his wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who, who was, who is, and is to come. Never stop. Those angels never stop praising God. Isn't that amazing? They never get tired. They never get thirsty. Their throats never dry out. They simply just praise God because they love him that much and they have not experienced His grace half as much as we have. Isn't that amazing? Wow. God is forever almighty. You can trust in that. You can bank on it. And in Revelation 15, God is called great and marvelous, just and true. Let's go to Revelation 15. Revelation 15, verse 2. Again, John is still recording his vision. He's seeing his vision. He's writing it down. In verse 2, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name, they, uh, they held harps, giving them by God, and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty, they sang. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. Almighty God, great and marvelous, just and true. Who are these people John is describing in verse 2, standing beside the the sea? Who are they? They're the Christians who are killed because they would not abandon their faith in Christ. They would not give up on, on Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They would not turn away from Him or forsake Him, and they died for their faith in Christ. And they're in heaven, and their number is being added to that, that body still today. And they are singing this great song. Beginning with James in the book of Acts, church has always had martyrs, people who died for the faith. And that will be until Jesus comes back, until God comes back. There will always be martyrs, people who will give themselves, give their all for the faith in Christ. See, friends, Christians will suffer. But Christians Christians will not abandon their faith in Christ because Christians don't do that. We, we follow through. We persevere. We take it. And in spite of all, all that suffering, in spite of all that persecution, these Christians will sing about God, Almighty God, because they know who He is. They know that they know. We believe, but they know that He is great and marvelous, just and true. They've experienced it. That's how they know. That truth. We believe that. We have faith in that, right? We haven't seen it proven yet, quite yet. Not in our personal lives. These martyrs do. They know in ways that you and I don't. John in verses two and three says this: They held hearts given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the Ages. That's a song that they're singing. What a vision of God's saints acknowledging his greatness. Wouldn't you love to see that? Wouldn't you love to see that? Amen. Someday we will. Someday we're going to join in with those folks and sing that song or songs like that. But what a vision of, of, of God's saints acknowledging him and the marvelous things that he does. Let me ask you, doesn't God deserve to be praised? Amen. He does. He is the Almighty. He is great. He is marvelous. He is just and true. He does not lie. He does not cheat. He will right every wrong when he comes back to this world in his glory. He will set all things right. He will set the balance back on zero again. Singing has always helped people get through hard times. Just look at the history of America and 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 the Negro slaves and the spiritual songs they came up with to comfort them because of their slavery, they had nothing but heaven to look forward to. And their songs, that's what they sing about. During the Depression, people sang gospel songs, trying to build their hope and faith in God in the midst of some of the worst times. During the wars, during the wars, think, think about the Civil War and the songs that came out of that. I think we need to praise God more, don't you? I think we need to praise God for who He is more. I think we need to thank God and praise Him for being great and marvelous, just and true. The saints in heaven are doing it right now. So the saints on earth should be doing it as well. And just think of it this way, that when we sing in worship, or when we sing in our car, or when we sing at home, or wherever we're at, we're singing to God, we're joining the saints of heaven in that moment, praising God. That's worship. And we should be doing that too. We should be doing more of this. God is great. He is marvelous. He is just. He is true. And number three, He is Almighty King. He is the Almighty King. Go with me to Revelation 19 now. Chapter 19. And I love this passage because this is is a great passage right here. Revelation 19, verse 11. John says, I saw heaven standing open. Wouldn't you love to see heaven standing open? To look up into the sky and see heaven bust open. That would be awesome. And there before me, he said, was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Someday this is going to come true. Someday this little picture, this little film that you can see in your mind's eye as you read this is going to happen. And we're either going to see it from here on earth or we're going to see it from heaven if we follow Christ. That's the key. Almighty God is almighty king. The Christian life is about waiting, isn't it? Life is a lot about waiting, right? You wait here, you wait there, you go to the doctor's office, you go to the DMV, you wait you wait everywhere. You wait at church for it to start. You wait. Christian life's about waiting too. We wait on God to move. We can't make God move one inch. Did you know that? We can pray and ask Him to do things. And He responds to our prayers. He does things according to His will. But we can't make Him move. We have to wait on Him to move. We have to wait on God to speak. And I think we need to listen a little harder. Maybe we'll hear more of Him speaking His voice. And the church is waiting on God to return. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With, his, with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. We're waiting on this moment. We can't make this moment happen. We can pray for this moment. The book of Revelation ends by saying, pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. But we can't make it. We have to wait. That's just the way it is. What a vision though. What a vision. John was sitting, was was living on the island of Patmos. He had been exiled there. He was being persecuted. He was exiled there as a prisoner of Rome. He was waiting on God to move in his life. And he's given this great vision of heaven. And at the end of time, and he's he's living in that lonely exile, experiencing persecution every day. And he's allowed to see heaven. He's allowed to see the return of Almighty God. How encouraging that must have been for him. He sees Almighty God. He sees the Lord coming back in glory, great glory, heavenly glory. And the armies of heaven are falling behind him, very close. Almost, Almost up right next to him. Now I realize this is Christ coming into the world. I realize that but only the only being in heaven that the armies of heaven will follow is who? Almighty God. The only beings that the, the, that the angels of heaven would dare follow anywhere or go anywhere on their on His order is Almighty God. So God is coming back. He's coming back as a king. Not to be crowned. He's already been crowned. He's coming back as a king. We don't have many actual ruling kings and queens today. Not in in our world. We have a few. But they really don't rule. Did you know that Queen Elizabeth doesn't rule the Kingdom of England? Of the United Britain or United Kingdom? She doesn't rule. She's the queen. Parliament rules. Parliament makes the laws. Parliament does all that. But in the old days, being a king or a queen had power. It, It was absolute power. If the king said something, it happened. Or someone suffered because it didn't. We don't do things that way anymore. Now, if that's true, or that was true for earthly kings, how much more true is it for a heavenly king, for Almighty God? He has absolute, complete power. He's the one who's created everything that we that we know is the world. Look at verse fifteen. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He's going to judge the nations. He's going to judge America. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He. Pray, He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. John makes sure to say that because he wants us to understand that God hates sin and He will judge the nations for the people's sin. One of the things about governments is the governments are. Did you know that governments were instituted by God to, to maintain order, to put forth just laws? And when a nation's government no longer puts forth just laws. What happens to that nation? The Iron Scepter. That's what happens. And I'm afraid that might happen to America. I'm afraid that's going to happen to America. For the laws that our government has passed. For the laws that we have elected people to pass. See, many people don't understand this about Jesus. They don't realize or think about this, about Jesus. That when he comes back at the end of time, he is going to force his will on this world. That's what it means to rule with the iron scepter. He will force his will on this world. This is not a popular idea today. People want to focus on God's love today. That's what people want to focus on. They want to focus on God's love. Now, that's what they've been taught. So I don't blame them so much. They've been taught to focus on God's love. Just watch TV preachers. They want to talk about only about God's love, God's blessings, God's wonderfulness. They don't talk about his judgment, though, do they? Not very often. Not very many. But we can't ignore God's judgment. Now we have to tell people God loves them because He does love them. But we also have to to warn them about God's judgments. That His judgment on sin is coming. And He judges people for their sins. And that when He returns as Almighty Judge, as Almighty God, He will judge them. I like what Psalm 24 verse 10 asks a great question. And the question it asks is this, who is he, this king of glory? That's a great question, isn't it? I think our world is asking that question today. Who is he, this king of glory? And it answers it, the Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Amen. Yeah. The world wants to know, who is this king? And we have to tell him it's God Almighty. That's who he is. That's who's going to come and he's going to rule this world. Now go with me to Revelation 21, quick. Revelation 21, verse 3. John has just seen the new heavens, the new earth. And in verse 3, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son or daughter. Almighty God is our God if we follow Jesus Christ. If we ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our lives, Almighty God is our God. He'll be your God. He wants to be your God. At this point in Revelation, God has brought time and history to an end. And all that's left at this point is God, His people, His people, and eternity. Isn't that something? Think about that. To be with God and His people and all eternity. That'll be wonderful, won't it? Yeah. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, I like that that idea of a loud voice. God's not timid. He's speaking with authority. Fathers, right? Dads? Remember raising kids and you would speak with authority at times? When your kids were acting out? Maybe mothers had to do that too once in a while. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now now the dwelling that God is with men, He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and they will be and be their God. I like Adrian Rogers a lot. He said something about relationships one time. Has any of you ever had a problem with relationships? You know, somebody struggled to get along with something? No, Bill, Bill is just this wonderful guy. Nobody ever got disagreed with Bill. and Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he says this really great, it's a great saying. He says, to dwell there above with those that we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live here below with those that we know, well, that's a different story. (laughs) Isn't that true? Life is full of relationships that that for the most part go fairly well, but every now and then something kind of gets kicked over and we get into this ruckus. And sometimes it's people we just meet and we just instantly have this problem. We can't get along. That's the way life is. I think we need to remind ourselves, I think Christians need to remember that someday We're going to live with God. And it's going to be glorious. Because He's glorious. And He'll be our God. And we'll be with Him forever. Maybe that would spark a revival in the church today, huh? That if we stop to think about the fact that someday we're going to live in the holy presence of God with millions of other people and we're never ever going to have a disagreement or an argument. Isn't that amazing? Gosh, Anna, you have hope, don't you? Yeah, Anna has hope for me we should also stop and contemplate what 4 says. Verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He had to cry this year any? Lose anybody? Friend? A family member? There will be no more death or mourning, crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God speaks in past tense because He doesn't live in time the way that you and I do. Isn't that amazing? It's all passed away to Him. It's done. But to you and I, we're still waiting for this all to take place. And then God spoke again. I love this in verse five. He was seated seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. And they said, write this down. John, write this down. Gary, listen to this. For these words are trustworthy and true. And we're reminded again that God, Almighty God is is true. He is just. That what he has promised us, we will someday have. I love that. I love that I get reminders from God that someday what He promises to give, what He's promised to give me, if I stay faithful to Him, if I follow His, uh, follow Him, He'll give it to me. He's promised that. And then again in verse 6-7, again the, the offer of eternal life is given. Look at that. Verse 6, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost. From the spring of water of life, he who overcomes will inherit all this and I'll be his God and he'll be my son. The offer of eternal life, living water. That's what he's talking about there. It's offered again here at the end of the book of Revelation. Here at the end of the Bible, God says, look, living water is offered to you, eternal life. It's yours if you'll take it. Again, we, I'm reminded of, that, of Jesus meeting that woman at the well where he offers her living water. She draws him Actual water. He gives her living water. And once more, we're reminded that whoever reads this book, hears this book read, and takes its message to heart, will be blessed with salvation if we'll accept that living water from Christ. You see, Revelation just isn't about God's wrath. It is about God's love. There's a balance here. But His love must be accepted and we must accept it His way through Jesus Christ. That's the only way it can happen. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so that we could have that living water. 2,000 years later, that living water is still flowing from the throne of God to all of us who would receive it. In Isaiah 6, verse 5, Isaiah has a vision of God. He says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He got a vision too, and it changed his life. When he experienced God's glorious presence and he heard those angels praising God over and over and over, he realized how great a sinner he truly was. And he realized his sin separated him from God, but he also realized God loved him. He also came to that conclusion as well and gave himself to God for the next 50 years of his life. And amazing. Until we accept that we are sinners who need to be saved and that God has provided a Savior, we will be forever separated from God. We will be outside of His blessings, outside of His family, and outside of heaven. I couldn't think of anything worse than that. Could you? I can't. That's why we sing a song at the invitation time Come just as you are. That's the way God accepts us, as we are. We'll come to Him by faith, seeking forgiveness. He takes us as we are and then changes us into what he wants us to be. So let's get ready to sing. Let's stand up together. Let's pray and ask God to speak to each person that's here today. Father God, this morning, almighty God, we thank you for being almighty. We thank you for being marvelous and, and just.